0: Doctor RJ Rushduni R R one sixty one C U one seventy nine Victim Hood from the Easy Chair Excellent Colloquies on various subjects.
1: This is RJ Rushduni, Easy Chair Number two hundred and eighty nine, May the third, nineteen ninety-three. This evening Douglas Murray, Otto Scott, Mark Rushdooney, and I will discuss the subject of victimhood. An exceptionally fine book has been written on the subject by Charles J. Sykes, S-Y-K-E-S, A Nation of Victims, The Decay of the American Character. And the point made is that we have a people now determined to be victims no matter what. Dr. and Mrs. Martin Bobgan in Santa Barbara have been sponsors of a book which points out that in the churches today, biblical counsel has given way to psychological Counseling in which the person is not told that they are sinners and they need to repent and make restitution, but that they are victims, so that instead of coming to a confession of their wrongs, they see themselves as victimized somehow. Well, we are a nation of victims. We have replaced responsibility with a belief that we have been victimized. Sykes begins by telling the story of an FBI agent who embezzled government money, lost it all in an afternoon of gambling in Atlantic City, and was fired. But he won reinstatement after a court ruled that his affinity for gambling with others people's money is a handicap and therefore protected under federal law. Of course, the court was old-fashioned because they called it a handicap. They should have said, in terms of the new terminology, that the agent was differently abled. Another man was fired for showing up late at work and the school district uh, fired him. He sued the school district, saying he was a victim of what his lawyer called chronic lateness syndrome. And in Framington, Massachusetts, a young man stole a car from a parking lot And was killed while driving it and his family sued the proprietor of the parking lot. And so on and on. Fantastic cases where again and again the persons involved are ruled to be victims not sinners. In fact, Sykes signs a case of a professor who admits he's not female, he's not black, he's not even poor. But he has a minority status. He is despised, he feels, as a minority member, and he uses that term. What is his problem? He rides a bicycle from home to college and he feels that people who drive by look down on him. So, he is demanding the status of a victim. Well, Sykes has a few hundred pages of uh, such accounts, raises the question, Are we all sick? Everybody wants the status, virtually, of a victim. And he gives some horrifying accounts. Of course, if we're not victims, we are the victimizers. He points out that uh, a training manual for the state insurance fund in New York says that, and I quote all white individuals in our society, are racist, unquote. So we have a problem. We have a radical moral decline. The churches are not confronting the issue. They are helping aggravate it with their psychologists, staff members who teach victimhood and pastors who even preach it. We have a very, very serious crisis morally as a result. Well, with that introduction, Douglas, would you like to comment?
2: Well, victimhood is uh, a fairly recent term because uh, I tried to find the word in Webster's uh, New International Second uh, Unabridged Dictionary, and that particular word doesn't exist uh, at the time that dictionary came out, I don't know whether it appears in newer, uh, editions or not, but, uh, victimhood, uh, it seems has created a haven for people who are emotional cripples, who find, uh, who see themselves as being, uh, disabled. And some of it, it, it seems so, so strange. Uh, some of the things that you just mentioned, that it's almost as if uh, these are tongue-in-cheek attempts to victimize society uh, by coming up with the most bizarre uh, attempt to paint oneself as a victim. And uh, I, I think it's gotten to the absurd because no rational person can view some of the things that these people are claiming uh, as being uh, real. Well,
0: judging from the examples that Rush just cited from Sykes's book, uh, these people made a pretty good thing out of being a victim. Uh, so I wouldn't say that there was anything particularly wrong with their, uh, with their brain. They're taking advantage of a situation in which they could cash in on being a victim. And it's the government and the court... And probably to be more specific, it's the social science which influences the government and the court, which is responsible for these definitions and for those kind of awards and judgments. Now, we could go back a bit. My mother's family was a working-class family, and as I look back upon it, they had a very austere level of uh, condition of living. I mean, chicken was, was a, a big thing, it was save for uh, special occasions. And of course, we go back when radio was rudimentary, most of us didn't have it for quite a while, and uh, movies were once a week, and so forth. So life was very simple. None of the people that the McGivneys knew or none of their neighbors thought of themselves as poor because they own their own homes, they, uh, they were able to take care of themselves, and so forth. Today, all people in relatively modest circumstances consider themselves victims, and they've been encouraged and, in fact, instructed to so regard themselves. And you have the idea that uh, if you don't have, uh, I hear, for instance, today from young people, mostly at second remove to me, that they feel very sorry for themselves because they don't think they're going to own their own home. Now, it never occurred to most people that they ever would own their own home didn't have to because rents were stable and if a family moved in and paid rent they expected to be there for life and they were there for life they were there for 20, 30, 40 50, 60 years that was even true in New York apartments Uh, to rent in New York City is what 99.9% of the people do none of the millions of people in New York City expect to own a home because house prices in New York are astronomical and only multimillionaires buy their own or the upper middle class. So, the whole business probably, and I don't want to go on too long, it probably began with World War II and the great wailing about the suffering of World War II on the part of some minorities. Now, We lost 35, the world lost 35 million people in World War II. I saw a certain small percentage of them go to their deaths personally. My best friend lost his life in the Battle of the Bulge after two field promotions. But it never occurred to me to think of myself or my contemporaries as victims. If I had died in the war, I wouldn't. I wasn't raised to think along those terms. Uh, some people had better circumstances and some people had worse. This is the nature of life. Now what's happening here is that the nature of life is being misrepresented by our social scientists. And I think that it is beginning to unhinge our society.
1: Mark? Well, if you define people as victims, then there has to be a victimizer, someone who has committed a crime. And if someone has committed a crime, then it's responsibility of the state and the
0: social scientists to do something about it to control those people who have been defined
1: as the criminals or the victimizer. So the whole idea of victimhood, to me, is a way that people who want to control other people can rationalize the need to control other people. I think uh, an important point here is that uh, victimhood was ridiculed in... Mark Twain's Tom Sawyer. Do you remember the famous episode where Mark Twain was sent to bed, I think without his supper or with some kind of reprimand, and he began to feel very sorry for himself. He saw himself as a victim of his Aunt Polly. Mm -hmm. So he imagined what would happen if somehow he had an accident, he met with death, And they would all be there crying because he was gone. And he was enjoying the thought of everybody crying and feeling sorry that they had been unkind to him or regarded him as uh, something of a disobedient boy, and so on and on. Now, that was one of the high points of Mark Twain's account of Tom Sawyer. And when I went to school, I had a teacher who read that aloud. And everyone in the class laughed. And she said, now, don't you all sometimes do that? Do you realize how ridiculous it is? So, to see oneself as a victim was, when we were growing up, Otto, Still a joke. And what changed it? Well, here I think uh, both you and Mark put your finger on something. For there to be a victim, there has to be a victimizer. Who is the victimizer? Sykes, very early in his book, singles out one man especially who made the majority of Americans, the white majority, feel like victimizers and took the heart out of them. Adorno. Jesse really? Yes. Theodore Adorno, who made us all feel that we were somehow secretly racist anti-Semites, fascists, Nazis, and so on. And that kind of thinking has saturated this country since World War II. And it has created the climate of victimhood because if you somehow protest against it, oh, ho, you're the authoritarian personality. You're all of these evil things. You are the victimizer fighting against an honest description of yourself.
0: That's interesting. I wrote about it in the Calcedon Report ten years ago. Yes. And I recently sent a copy of that to Pat Buchanan Mm -hmm. because it seemed to me that he didn't quite know the origin of the animus that he has aroused. And he wrote back that it was illuminating. It's his term. Mm-hmm. He said, nothing else explains the berserk reaction to my yes. speech at the convention.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, Adorno created that climate because it was picked up by the media. It was picked up by the writers in various forms. It became a part of our textbook world so that it has created a weakness in the majority of the people here. That's
0: because there was no arguments presented against
1: it. That's right. It,
0: in the first place, it appeared, it appeared after World War II, very, not long after, but shortly after. And it first went through the uh, diaspora. It was, that's where I learned about it because I was at the time married to Rose Massing and I was part of the Berkeley community. So, of course, we all talked about it. And it was interesting to hear the individuals who themselves were not only apt to be authoritarian, but arrogant, deploring the authoritarian personality. (laughs) And it gradually seeped from there through academia and finally is now part and parcel of the whole ethos of the United States. That is, in its first form, rudimentary form, was that to be conservative was ipso facto to be anti-Semitic. That if you had certain attitudes associated with conservatism, whether you actually said or did anything anti-Semitic or even thought anything anti-Semitic was beside the point. If you had these attitudes, you were anti-Semitic. And to extend, expand that definition into opinions on general subjects was to create a net so wide that practically nobody could evade it. Uh, And, of course, the association... With Semitism as an association with being a victim. And I think in this respect that the Jewish history has been misrepresented because for most of the Jewish history has been a history of prosperity and safety, interspersed with periods of great difficulty, persecution and so forth, but by and large, if we were to exert the 12 years of Hitler's Germany, for instance, the German experience of the Jewish people was, in the main, one of great prosperity and success.
1: Well, I think what has happened, and uh, I asked you to uh, give Dolly the uh, Adorno article because I felt we ought to reprint it, mm-hmm. because prior to reading Sykes, I encountered several references mm-hmm. to Adorno for the first time for years. Mm-hmm. Uh, a few here and there are beginning to understand the devastating revolution he created. It's an international thing because what we see now is that virtually every people on the face of the globe see themselves as victims. We feel we're victimized by Japan. We feel we're victimized by other countries. Britain feels victimized by us. France feels victimized by the whole world. And uh, wherever you go, people see their nation as a victim of the rest of the world. Well, to a great extent, of course,
0: victims exist. Countries, uh, peoples have been abused. Uh, in your background, as an Armenian, you know this very well. There's nothing mythical about the treatment of the Turks against the Armenians, which, by the way, is a very long-standing, mm-hmm. many centuries, yes. not simply a, a single episode, but a whole series, much like the Irish under the English. But this is the nature of God's world, It is not an equal employment world and it is not a world where everyone has the same experience. We get tested, people get tested, nations get tested. It is, I think, the one of the uh, best things my father ever taught me when I was a boy and we were in Brazil he pointed to some men who were creating bricks with chisels and hammers, regular square rectangular bricks of stone which they were chipping out. And you'd hear that tap, tap, tap going all day long for hours, not far from the Hotel Copacabana. And we could see them working. He took me out on the balcony and he said, do you think uh, those men are hardworking? And I said, yes, of course, yes, certainly are. He said, how much do you suppose they're paid? Well, it was a very small amount, but he told me I'd forgotten what it was. And I was shocked at how small it was. Well, he said, let that be a lesson to you. It takes more than diligence and physical effort. You have to think. Mm-hmm. And the injustice of the world is part of the world.
1: Well, You're right that many people have been uh, victims, such as the Armenians and the people in the Balkans. But the interesting thing is, when you look at those peoples, who are their heroes? The men who resisted and fought. And even though they may have lost in the long run, they were viewed as men who triumphed. They didn't go down wailing. That's right. One of the greatest of the heroes of uh, resistance, the Turks, was uh, Skanderbeg in what is now Albania. Hmm. He's a hero to people in the whole region Hmm. because of the courageous way he fought most of his lifetime, even though finally he lost his life. So... They didn't see themselves once as victims. They fought, they lost, and they were going to fight again.
2: They saw themselves either as victors or survivors.
1: Yes, very well put. Victors or survivors.
0: Well, here we are, Christians, with a pattern of Jesus in front of us. And we all know the nature of his end on this earth, which the Romans got. The Romans got crucifixion from the Orientals, and it was reserved for the lowest and the worst because it was the most painful and protracted and public and humiliating. And it's very difficult as a Christian to go through the problems of this life and feel sorry for yourself if you have any faith at all.
1: one of the things that uh, Sykes calls attention to in one chapter is Victim Chic. Well said. A, and uh, a classic example with which he begins his chapter is Leonard Bernstein's famous party for the Black Panthers, which Tom Wolfe wrote about, mm-hmm. where the Black Panthers kept insulting uh, Bernstein and the other whites there and they kept saying amen to it all and laughing it up and praising them for being so gross in their comments about uh, their hosts. And uh, he cites as one of the uh, leaders in this kind of uh, victim chic Um, Professor Reich who is now with Clinton in the White House so (laughs) you can see how victimhood or victim chic pays off
0: well it paid off for them they were taken to the penthouse they were wined and dined and had their feet licked and collected a lot of money and got away with murder and robbery and blackmail mm. for years while the United States government and the FBI and the courts sat there and applauded?
1: Well, Reich went so far as to extend victimhood down to school children. He said, an examination or a test is a form of violence. Compulsory gym to one embarrassed or afraid is a form of violence. Who said this? Reich. Our R- 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 Washington guru. Clinton's uh, great scholar. The requirement that a student must get a pass to walk in the hallways is violence. <laughs> Compulsory <laughs> attendance in the classroom... Compulsory studying in study hall is violence. The amount of violence in high school is staggering, says Resch.
2: (laughs) What, uh, this fellow Adorno, what was his motive? What did he hope to gain with this revolutionary uh, approach of his? Adorno was,
0: after the after World War II, you know, he he was a German-Jewish refugee and a veteran of the Bauhaus. He said, he first came to my attention uh, and the attention of a lot of others when he said there should be no more poetry after the Holocaust.
1: Oh.
0: He wanted to stop the entire human race from making poems again. And I think his argument, of course, I said at the time that he was mis- he was he was confusing German conservatives with American conservatives. But he was later known as the famous as as the original Doctor No, they called him. What we have here is an interesting thing of the juxtaposition of cultures. Theodore Adorno is one of the icons of the international diaspora. Jewish diaspora. He's one of their uh, leading philosophic figures, leading cultural figures. And there are a number of them. But most non-Jews do not know their names or their writings because they just don't circulate around in the general uh, community. Adorno has broken out of that limitation. He's dead now. And there are a few others, but... And I think I wrote this uh, recently, I'm not sure. But I said, for instance, Delmore Schwartz is a uh, New York Jewish poet, and rather a good one, too. His first poem, which really caught attention when he was 21 years old, was taken from a title of a Goya painting, In Dreams There Are Responsibilities. And it was... I was trying to think of Sidney Hook, was, it? Oh, it was his teacher, Schwartz's teacher. Sidney Hook, also Jewish, said, and, and, and a very interesting scholar, and an admirable one in many ways because of his honesty. Sidney Hook said he had the strange experience of having a poet in his class who was only 21 years old who was already world famous. Well, he was world-famous in the Diaspora. He was not world-famous anywhere else. To this day, most Americans have never heard of Delmore Schwartz. But if you read commentary and uh, Tikkun and the other Jewish uh, literary outlets, you, of course you would know his name. So what we're talking about here in Theodore Adorno is a representative of a culture that most of us are not well acquainted with.
1: Shortly after World War II, one or two scholars began to analyze the strange phenomenon that you described, Otto, and uh, very quickly they became ancient and dead history. But the gist of it was this. The Enlightenment created a class of men who regarded themselves as distinct from the rest of their people. And these people looked cynically and critically on both church and state. They regarded Christianity as beneath their dignity, and they regarded the state as uh, really a problem because they were not in charge. After the uh, French Revolution, these Enlightenment ideas began to race through the uh, Jewish community. And when uh, Napoleon tried to bring the Jewish community up to the presence, as it were, they resisted. But very quickly elsewhere in Europe the enlightenment ideas made deep inroads into the Jewish community so you had a Jewish and Gentile element throughout the western world that was engaged in total war on Christian against Christian civilization against the existing order that wanted Revolution And they were not necessarily Marxists. Some were. But they wanted the overthrow of everything that existed because it did not meet their standards. Well, we uh, felt that trend to a much lesser degree than any other country until World War II. And a great many refugees came here from Europe. And they brought this revolution with them. And Adorno, as a key thinker in this, became deadly in his, uh, influence because he influenced the entire world of advertising. And through the world of advertising, the media and scholars. But in advertising, the law was laid down, I believe, first of all.
0: Well, it's sort of like the chicken and the egg thing. Yes. Uh, a cultural influence that runs through as quickly as his did. Sidney Hook and some others pointed out immediately that it was invalid, but their voices were swamped in the fact that you take a A fraudulent idea is always Mm oversimplifies and is easier sold than the complicated truth.
1: Sidney Hook lost a great deal of his standing because he spoke out against it. Out of that uh, Adorno concept which made everybody a victim of the uh, white... Christian majority developed the student revolution, the children's rights movement, feminism, the gay revolution, and much, much more.
0: Well, it really opened the gates to all those things. Yes. Um, I was going to say something on, on the whole question of advertising. The people in advertising are very much like the people that Burkhart calls the uh, humanists. Uh, people with a smattering of education, not specialists in anything, living by their wits, picking up every fashionable idea that floats through the room, uh, verbal, quick, and surface. And I would say that... Uh, entertainment and all that area, spectrum, picked up Adorno's ideas and it's now accepted as absolute gospel. I remember I called ADL Public Relations Office about 20 years ago when I was in New York, maybe 30 years ago now, And it said, do you you guys still believe in the Adorno theory? And the fellow said, well, sure. He said it's been proven. Mm -hmm. Proven
1: because they believed it.
0: Well, it it becomes a truism. Yes. If enough people believe something, then it's a form
1: of reality. Well, Sykes calls attention to a very, very important point in passing. He said that once the intellectuals and uh, the left began to catch on to this, they went directly to the courts for the argument. And this created a legal revolution in the years since World War II in that the courts have again and again validated in their eyes, the standing of people as victims. So we have all kinds of groups crowding into the courts to demand the status of victims. Special special compensation. And someone, Fred Siegel, has written on that, on uh, the fact that the people have been bypassed and the courts have taken over to carry on the Victimhood revolution.
2: It's an indictment against the legal profession because they can no longer tell the difference between real injury and being conned.
0: Well, if they can con the jury, Mm -hmm. um, we have over 600,000 lawyers. And the legal profession in the United States has been overcrowded for several generations. There's a great many lawyers that are uh, almost starving. It, It becomes a desperate situation. Will they do anything to make a living? And I remember reading about Clarence Darrow, a biography of Clarence Darrow, and the condition of lawyers in Chicago in his day. And I remember the condition of lawyers in the Depression, when it was almost impossible to make a living as a lawyer. And even today, you'll find that most lawyers are not to be found in courts.
2: Somebody pointed out uh, over the weekend that the top 16 jobs in the Clinton administration, they're all lawyers.
0: Well, a lawyer is an expert on society at one remove. He doesn't hire people particularly. Uh, They do, of course, clerks and whatnot. But... I recently talked to a young lawyer who said that uh, a Seattle discussion about the Fifth Amendment told him more law than he learned in three years in law school. Mm-hmm. I don't know what they teach them in law school. They really teach them how to be quick on their feet.
2: Procedure.
1: hmm Yes, one uh, lawyer, highly placed and very successful, told me he had never heard a discussion of what law means, what is the idea of law, until he talked with me.
0: Yeah,
1: I believe that. It's never brought up in law school. I believe that. There are trained technicians in a particular field. Well, the cost of litigation has become so costly that uh, fewer and fewer people are going to be able to use a lawyer and the profession is going to go downhill because of what has been done to it by this concept of victimhood.
0: Well, what you're talking about is the legalization of social situations. Yes. Now, the law used to be uh, only concerned with behavior. And now the law is concerned with attitudes, with education, with backgrounds, with race. Thoughts. Thoughts, yes. Bad thoughts. Uh, in in uh, part of the legal actions against the Weaver family, they brought up mm-hmm. the suspicion that they were white supremacists. Well, if you have a black supremacist, that would not surprise anybody in the United States. What makes a white supremacist suspect as compared to a black
1: supremacist? By definition now it is increasingly, increasingly said that minority groups cannot be racist.
0: Well, they make a good imitation, don't they?
2: Yeah, who is the radio commentator, uh, the talk show host, King, Larry King, said by definition blacks
1: cannot be racist.
0: Well, he's, he's au courant, he's, he's, he's a correct thinker.
1: Well, the situation has become so bad that uh, the Salvation Army has been sued by an employee they fired not too long ago because they found her using, using their copying machine to copy satanic rituals for the group of which she was a member.
0: And she was in the Salvation Army?
1: She was an employee. She was an
0: employee.
1: So when they fired her, her rights supposedly were denied and she went to court claiming victimhood. Well, you wonder how these snow who
2: pushes these snowballs and starts them going down the hill. It's uh, very instructive about this Adorno thing. I, I'd always felt that the government was governing through a divide-and-conquer approach. If you get everybody at each other's throat and nobody's watching what the politicians are doing...
1: Well, uh, Donna Shalala, who holds a very high position in the present administration, was chancellor of the University of Wisconsin at uh, Madison... And she said, and I quote, "...the university is institutionally racist. American society is racist and sexist." Moreover, when at uh, her university there was a, a physical attack on speakers by minority students It was excused on the grounds, and I quote, that the attack was a result of their systematic oppression by this university, this city, and the nation. Now that's the kind of garbage we're getting, and it has a standing under law.
0: Well, of course... None of us have ever bought or sold a slave. And the fact that every other nation in the world had slavery is never taught here. Uh, I read that we eliminated slavery. We didn't. We eliminated slavery in the United States. There's a difference. Uh, Slavery existed in a great many places much longer than our experience. And certainly the latest generation of black people in the United States could not in justice claim that they have been mistreated. Mm -hmm. Uh, They have received a trillion dollars in aid.
1: Sykes uh, quotes the fact that... uh... Well, let me read uh, part of a paragraph from Sykes. A Time magazine report on the subject, uh, that is, a, a rape, uh, defined not by... Phys- well, let me go back. Quotes a female student arguing that rape is a subjective experience, defined not by physical assault or actual penetration, but rather by the feelings of the victim. In other words, you may not lay a hand on a girl or a woman, but you raped her. It is perfectly legitimate in some cases, she argues, to use accusations of rape as a means of calling attention to the general issue of the oppression of women. If a woman did falsely accuse <coughs> a man of rape the student insists, she may have had reasons to... Maybe she wasn't raped, but he clearly violated her in some way. This politicized approach to accusation was echoed in the same article by an assistant dean of student life at Vassar, who explained to time the value of a flexible use of the term rape and the acceptability of relativized standards of truth in leveling charges against male students. Quoting from her, to use the word carefully would be to be careful for the sake of the violator and the survivors don't care a hoot about him, she contends. Since males must be sensitized to their status as potential rapists, she sees benefits even for those falsely accused. Quoting, they have a lot of pain, but it is not a pain that I would necessarily have spared them. I think, it ideally initiates a process of self exploration. How do I see woman? If I didn't violate her, could I have? Do I not do I have the potential to do her to her what they say I did? Those are good questions. End of quote.
0: Well of course we're talking
1: here about
0: hatred of man, hatred of men by a woman.
1: And insanity.
0: And, uh, it's possible that all these social scientists are correct in that God made a mistake when He gave people physical gender and it was really a matter of choice after that no matter what the plumbing. But what we're, we are seeing, I think, an avalanche against white males. And it's interesting because Christians aren't the only white males in the country, or persons of Christian descent aren't the only white males in the country, but some white males appear to feel invulnerable to the uh, condemnation of white males in general, all but us. The whole business of child abuse, uh, as we know, Rush, Mm -hmm. good friend of ours, has a uh, preschool in which one child slapped another. And it was escalated into an accusation that the child was slapped by a teacher, which then escalated into the accusation that whole troops of children were marched out into a private home and shown pornographic movies and asked to repeat what they saw. Uh, The police were called in and found no grounds for this and the police were then put on television and the policeman was maneuvered into a position where he apologized for not finding evidence. (laughs) Mm
1: -hmm. (laughs) Well, Shelby Steele has written on this, and I quote, the raceholder whines or complains indiscriminately not because he seeks redress, but because he seeks the status of victim." a status that excuses him from what he fears. A victim is not responsible for his condition. And by claiming a victim status, the raceholder gives up the sense of personal responsibility he needs to better his condition. The price he pays for the false comfort of his victim's status is a kind of impotence. unquote.
0: Not quite... Uh... It seems to me that the person who claims to have been victimized has used, has picked up a spear and plunged it into somebody else whom he accuses of being responsible for his victimhood. These are acts of hostility. Somebody has to pay. And in many, in most instances somebody does pay.
1: Well, Sykes calls attention to the fact that uh, it is unjust now to call attention to such facts that the average black woman earns 8% more than a white woman with identical employment.
0: Black professors make more money than white
1: professors. Yes. So... All the same, uh, this is not regarded as uh, anything but a form of racism. What? Moreover, uh, symbolic racism means voting against a black candidate. Now, you may have no prejudice, you believe, but if you did not vote for a black man who, or a woman who is on the ballot, you are a racist, whatever your politics may be.
0: If you boil some of this down, it boils down to social complaints. Not being accepted in a club, not having a uh, social equality with some other group. Now, This belies the fact that most people don't want to have social interaction with different groups. Most black people prefer to live with each other because it's a lot easier on the psyche. And uh, this is true of every group in the country without exception. Everyone. And yet there's a big official fiction to the effect and we see it in the soap operas and we see it on television we see it on the ads is a great social fiction that all the races intermingle here socially on an equal level and I have never seen this either here or anywhere else in the world Mm
1: -hmm. well we have I believe at the heart of this problem a theological error according to the Bible, and in particular, according to the Reformed faith, man is depraved. He is a fallen creature. He does not want responsibility. And victimhood is an assertion that one is not responsible.
0: Somebody else is responsible.
1: Yes, somebody else is. And of course, the first, Person to promote victimhood was Satan in the Garden of Eden.
0: Equality. You were going to be equal to God.
1: Yes. And God was victimizing them by denying them equality with himself. To teach personal responsibility according to these preachers of victimhood is itself racism. And that type of teaching is endemic to our society and to many churches. So, until we get back to a sound biblical basis, until we see that our problem today is that people do not see themselves as sinners, they are not taught that they need to confess their sins Whether to a priest, a pastor, or a God, I won't go into. But confession of sins is gone.
0: Well, if you don't confess your sins to somebody else or to yourself, there's no way that you can overcome them. But to go back to your business on depravity, the world is depraved. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Now, you can't go out of your house without seeing that. This is a depraved world. It's a fallen world. To expect paradise in a fallen world is illogical. Yeah. It's insane. You yeah,
2: know, the government is telling you, give us enough money and we'll create it for you.
0: Well, look at what how they're doing it. Look at Waco. Mm-hmm. They're yeah. talking today about finding the Koresh's cadaver. They're not talking about the infants. They're not talking about the effect of gas... Poison. Poison gas, gas of, of whatever they call it. They call it non-lethal gas, but that non-lethal gas would kill an infant. Mm-hmm. And to put gas in where you have a number of children in a the crib, they're not talking about this at
2: all. The authorities released the information that they had found as cadaver to the press before they notified his mother.
0: That fits. Yes. That fits with a compassionate government.
1: And nothing about the inflammable character of such gases.
0: Well, if you look at that, and you know the road to hell, paved with good intentions, mm-hmm. you might say paved with laws. Yes. It really, we're in worse shape than we have ever been in my lifetime. In a social and psychological sense.
1: And I do not believe that it will ever take the road back without a confession of sin on the part of the people and on the part of the nation because we have to confront the fact that when we see ourselves as victims, we are as silly and childish as Tom Sawyer was and on top of that because of the consequences of our sewing, so doing we are monstrously evil
0: well we're, what we're talking about really is selfishness Just to put everything else aside into self pity yes. now the woman you, Sykes uh, quoted what is her complaint being female mm-hmm. what can we do about that
1: Sykes quotes... One-way ticket to Denmark? One... uh, uh, he, He quotes the case of one grossly overweight woman who could not sit behind the wheel of her car, no matter how far back it was put. She sat in the passenger seat next to the driver and reached over and was trying to drive a car that way and when she was refused a license she claimed victimhood and discrimination.
0: Discrimination. Well, of course I discriminated against her. (laughs) She was a crazy driver.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, discrimination is a necessary thing in life. Without it, uh, we'd all be dead in a hurry. We need discrimination to see dangers. We need discrimination to distinguish between good and evil. And today, discrimination is seen as itself an evil.
0: Well, it's a terrible thing in the face of a suffering world with people in Africa... Homeless by the millions and with people in Asia living under monstrous despotisms and people that I've known, seen in Latin America under very desperate situations. For a fat country like this to specialize in creating victims is really ridiculous. If you go across the border into Mexico... I'm struck immediately by the fact that the people seem happier there in that poverty-stricken country than they seem here. But, of course, to go through this exercise is to know why people are unhappy.
1: Yes. Well, our time is about up. Thank you all for listening, and God bless you.
0: Authorized by the Calcedon Foundation. Archived by the Mount
1: Olive Tape Library. Digitized by ChristRules.com